everybody. It's a new year, sort of, kind of. It's already been a month at least. But uh, it's a new year, and uh, this is episode 140 with me this month. Yeah. <laughs> this episode, we have uh, Greg Leahy. This is it. Now, I, I said last time when I did it so early in the year, in 2015, that you know I was going to have to wait the whole year, but uh, that time has come. Most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> well, you were on like the last episode. That's sort of, true. Because... Yeah, that was impromptu. I, I didn't. I didn't even know I was necessarily going to be on that until shortly beforehand. And then it turned into like all the UK people at NWR. So you're lucky it didn't uh, sort of impromptu burst of rule Britannia and just break out as this very very. <laughs> I think I, I snuck something in the background. For that <laughs> um... you know, it just happens a lot. You get three British people together on a Skype call. It's just it's almost unavoidable. But somehow. We restrained ourselves. <laughs> yes. Well, this is a, a normal episode. Uh, I mean, the live show is a lot of fun. But there's just two people here today, folks. Um, and of course, uh, you know Greg from Radio Free Nintendo, which I was on uh, a recent episode of. That's right. Um, recent as of this recording, at least. <laughs> um, only like two episodes ago. So uh, y'all know the drill, but just in case. Uh, Greg has picked the games for four of the five games. Uh, I have a listener request in the middle. And uh, usually when Greg comes on, he likes to have uh, one import game, and I, I bend the rules for him. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, once again, one of the five games, we won't tell you which one, but uh, one of the five games in this lineup is an import game. Indeed. So uh, you have that to look out for as well. Uh, but we got three songs per game, just as usual, and uh, your job is to figure it out. And yes, we do have hint questions, uh, James Charlton, so you can uh, rest easy. <laughs> I don't know how helpful <laughs> these are as ever. I, <laughs> I, 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 like, I, like, I tend to go with trivia more sometimes, but there you go. It's, it's at least something else to uh, Think about. keep things interesting. Okay, with that, let's go on to the first game.
nice sort of tranquil, soothing way to uh, ease us into the proceedings there. Going a bit more up tempo, but what I really like about that song, um, there's a, I presume there's like a proper musical term for this, but to quote Amadeus, I am a musical idiot, so I wouldn't know it. But um, it's kind of an instrument relay there, you know, as it kind of hands off to the different uh, parts of uh, the instrument set to kind of uh, carry the melody. There, I really like mm-hmm. that. It's great. Yeah. Okay, we do have a question, don't we? Yeah, we do have a question uh, to help anybody that uh, might need some uh, in guessing what this game is. And and so it is. Under what circumstances can this game soundtrack be heard in an 8-bit style?
that's a lot of fun. Uh, that I song. Eastern European flavor to that. Yeah, very like that. Uh, I really, I kind of actually made that particular part of the game quite a lot more enjoyable for me. <laughs> I suppose uh, at this juncture, it's time to reveal what said game is, and it is the Legend of Zelda Triforce Heroes for 3DS, uh, coming out of course last year. Um, and uh, have you had a chance to play this sort of TYP? <sighs> So I played this at E3 and, and it kind of drove me away. And I, I don't regret passing on this game based on everything I've heard. Uh, the E3 experience was just like the worst place to play that yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of talk about that. It certainly didn't seem very conducive oh. to it, you know, enjoying it because communication, you know, like local is, is seemingly the best way to play this game. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, in a setting where you can actually sort of have fun with your friends and, and communicate about what you're supposed to do rather than like the noisy show floor or whatever. I, I didn't feel like I'd ever be in a position where I'd, I'd be able to play this in a good setting, so I never picked up the game. I, I suppose I could have played online and used Skype or something with with uh, you or someone else. I, I just didn't. Ever, although well, it's, it's, it's region locked, it's region too, locked. Isn't it? Yeah, that 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 kind of uh, really kind of put pay to that for me for a large extent. I mean, um, you know, I mean, well, uh, to to get onto the answer to the hint question actually, which kind of ties into all this. So, under what circumstances could the game soundtrack be heard in an eight-bit style? Is when you're using download play um, so this was kind of instituted as a way of cutting down on the amount of data that would have to be broadcast to the sort of you know the satellite system people who didn't have a game card or a copy of the game installed to the SD card um, you know because as you can hear from those sounds you know this is a very very lush sort of vibrant soundtrack you know a lot of different elements uh, you know live instruments dynamic elements play a big part in the actual game which obviously we can't really replicate here you know but depending on like uh, which part of the totem you're in you know and the, the, the big signature mechanic of the three people are toteming up you know you'll hear the music differently depending which bit you're in oh, wow. and uh, you know like whether you carry sort of items around all this kind of stuff I mean it, it's it's exquisitely done sound design as well as just the, the core music is, is really good as well with the you know kind of carrying on the work that was done naturally enough in A Link Between Worlds uh, which is right. this, uh, it, it does not surprise me to, to hear such a great soundtrack on this because that that game was had such a great soundtrack and it was you know largely you know remixes of or at least a good extent remixes of, of existing tunes yeah and so, Link to the Past I mean it had you know so many of the same places and all that it was only natural that it would um, you know in, and, and it did a really good job with that and of course had original compositions too this is pretty much completely original there's not a lot of referencing classic Zelda tunes because it doesn't really connect to other Zelda games um, you know in terms of the place or anything really you know it's uh, you're in this kind of fashion obsessed kingdom with they kind of go for a little bit of that kind of um, Parisian kind of vibe, you know, with that. So, it, but it, 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 so certain parts around the town might, might remind you something might, you might find in a, a latent game when they go for that sort of frappe kind of thing. Um, yeah, but uh, you know, it's it's all really great. And in fact, you, I mean, League Between Worlds kind of broke us into that. Like the, they kind of apparently developed like 
a new way of doing a like, really high quality synth for, for that game you know like more realistic sounding instruments than ever before but I mean this sort of mixes that with more actual live instruments too um, you know like you can see a video on I don't remember they put out on Nintendo's uh, Nintendo UK's YouTube channel of them recording like the title theme you know with them playing the instruments and all that and I mean that's the thing I mean the composer on this game uh, Ryu Nagamatsu he's done uh, he's only really been with Nintendo since the Wii generation and he's done a lot of stuff you know with with live instruments at this point you know he came in he did worked on Galaxy 2 Nintendo yep. Land and then obviously Link Between Worlds as you'd expect you know, preceded this so that, that's been a lot of his kind of experience at this point but um, he's well, yeah, he, he's been a big champion of moving over to that and, and um you know, cause for the longest time, it was just against that stuff. Well, so. a lot of it is because, and it kind of goes back to the N64 era when they used to talk about oh, the, you know, the advantages of cartridges and stuff. It's like, oh, we can do this dynamic music and right. all this stuff. And, and that's the thing, they do like that a lot. And what they've managed to do sort of in Nagamatsu's time is to actually achieve that while having mm-hmm. these recorded elements, you know, in the Galaxy games, in Zelda games. You know, Skyward Sword did this. And now, yeah, very much this game, like I said, it, you know, there's. It's, it's really kind of weave, weaved very nicely into every aspect of the gameplay, the sound design. So um, they did a bang-up job in that regard. And then, like I said, you know, obviously it's a lot of stuff to transmit to the other systems in download play because they, they obviously felt that it was important to have a robust download play mode because, you know, it is difficult to kind of play this game, you know, the sort of ideal so we're talking about, you know, three people with three DSs and copies of the game each so, mm-hmm. you know, they did that but the one, you know, the, that clever accommodation to actually sort of downsample everything into a chip tunes 8-bit style is really clever, you know, because it, it's, yeah, it's like, like another it. sort of fun way of hearing the soundtrack as well so much so that you can in fact hear it even if you're not like one of those sort of people that's uh, if you, um, there's like a friend tokens or something you collect by linking with other players and they could be used to buy a costume which is like the sort of retro costume sort of blocky outfit for Link obviously that's a big part of the game is your white outfits you're wearing changes stats and that actually allows you you as a single player perhaps to hear the soundtrack in that 8-bit style so Mm -hmm. clearly they felt like it was even though it was kind of a clever compromise it'd be something that people would just enjoy on its own terms yeah yeah so that's really great, and it makes me really excited for um, what they have in store for the um, the Wii U quote unquote game. Um, Absolutely. Sorry, I don't believe it's going to be you know exclusive to Wii U at this point. But yeah, well, it's um, um, it's 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 cloudy to say the least. But uh, yeah. whatever format it's on at this point, you know whether we're talking about some sort of NX portable or whatever, you know, with the 3DS soundtracks are sounding like this, I'm completely sanguine that this soundtrack is going to be great. Yeah. Now, of course, it could have a different emphasis. I mean, Skyward Sword had a lot of. Uh, orchestral music, but it was very much ambiance. There wasn't a whole lot of memorable yeah. um, melodies to it, which I think we discussed. In oh, previous- we did, yeah, because I, I did Skyward Sword. But uh, you know, I mean, there was there was some good stuff in there, and of course, it depends, you know, uh, to a certain extent about that kind of moment-to-moment gameplay experience, doesn't it? I mean, the thing with the top-down Zelda's is that it kind of makes sense for them to be, you know, less atmospheric and more kind of 
upbeat and sort of zippy because every especially like Link Between Worlds like it's so smooth the gameplay experience it's all you know it just it's just um, fantastic and so the music kind of needs to reflect that to some extent you're not going to have like really long loops of songs or stuff uh, with that kind of gameplay I don't think well, I, I just hope that the soundtrack for the next console game is a little closer to what we're hearing on the 3DS games. Um, I, yeah. I understand it can have... I mean, Ocarina of Time, I love that soundtrack. And that yes, that had longer and more atmospheric stuff, but it also had recognizable melodies. And I just... I think Skyward Sword was intentionally trying to avoid a lot of those. Um, yeah, I don't, whether, I, mean, I don't know whether. I mean, I don't know almost you know I hesitate to suggest that anything might be narrative driven with Zelda because I think that's usually kind of the the, the secondary thing. But right. you know, the fact that it that Skyward Sword was like an origin story. But I don't know whether they were trying to say, oh, well, this is kind of before all those themes kind of take shape. You know, like if you play. The final dungeon in that game, the, the, the Sky Keep, there's like a weird deconstructed little bit of the Hyrule, the, the Hyrule overworld theme, the original Legend of Zelda theme in that. Like it's just taking shape there and then when you're putting the bits of the Triforce together. It's, um, you know, so, yeah, I don't know whether that played into it at all, but uh, in terms of speculating about the next Zelda story, I do not want to get within a country mile of that. <laughs> Absolutely not. All righty, we should probably move on. Yeah, but that's well. a fantastic soundtrack. I mean, I, I did enjoy uh, the game to some extent, um, you know, and, uh, even though I had kind of was limited by the fact I was playing online with anonymous people. But I really, really want to... I mean, my thoughts have been shared on RFN if you want to kind of break down of that. Uh, but um, I really wanted to share the soundtrack with people because I know there are many who may be, you know, in a similar position to you might pass on the game, but, you know, this is great stuff i think people should hear it and it's also nice to hear it uh, free of the burden of the emoticon noises like you know anytime you sort of solve a puzzle the sort of apparently like the the, the zelda kind of etiquette uh, the triforce series etiquette is to just pound the pom-pom button so you get this overlay the music can't always be heard that clearly so yeah it's great to put it more in isolation you know, people love the voices in Super Mario Advance series, so I figured, you know, why, why not take it to the next level? <laughs> there you go, man. Well, yeah, hey, Super Mario Advance uh, 4 you know, just came out and all that, but, you know, as much as you can bag on the voices, they've got the e-reader, so, and they've got, you know, they, they do have... That like, is impressive. Although I did own an e-reader. I'm not sure I had all the levels, though. Yeah, I don't think you would own all those because some of them were, like, Japan-exclusive or something. But, like, also, it's got real Luigi. It's got Luigi with his unique, you know, uh, movement capabilities. Right. Yeah, there's some interesting unlockable stuff. You can fly with a cape and uh, vegetables. I mean, it, it is an interesting version of that game, for sure. We digress. Game two.
Now, I've professed, you know, the weakness in my uh, knowledge of soundtracks tends to relate to 8-bit style ones, so I've got no uh, compunctions about using ones that I like. <laughs> <laughs> fun song so far but um, I think the hint question it, it might help people if they're kind of um, in the neighbourhood of the answer I haven't quite got it yet or maybe I'm overestimating the sort of how widely known the answer is I don't know but um, uh, the, the question is on what additional platform did this game appear along with two extra levels people have, have got this maybe there's a few different sort of red herring series you might be able to go down with this don't you think sure and, and i would have recognized this music had i purchased this game on said game boy platform 
I don't know, 20 years ago when I wandered into some used slash import game store. I stared <laughs> that game down not knowing what it was at the time. <laughs> really? But, uh, yeah, but it, it was... Uh, it was, they were just asking more than I thought was reasonable for for as a you know whatever fifteen year old kid uh, <laughs> looking at a Game Boy game. Um, so yeah, that that so first of all, this is in fact Gargoyles Quest Two, originally released and you know in America re- only released for the NES in nineteen ninety two before its recent virtual console comeback. Uh, but the answer to the trivia to a hit question is that it also appeared on the Game Boy in Japan. Uh, with those two extra levels, and I actually have that version. I, I got it a few years ago before I got to play the NES version of Virtual Console because it was uh, going in great condition for uh, sort of what you know, compared to every other sort of availability I'd ever seen a shockingly modest price. So even though you know for reasons we won't get into, it doesn't necessarily seem like the optimal version of that game in some ways. I feel like I've got to get it uh, as a big kind of. Uh, fan of the Horgan and Makaimura Ghosts and Goblins, you know, series and uh, you know, uh, I had at, at that time played Gargoyle's Quest for Game Boy on the Virtual Console so I, I knew I'd enjoy it on some level and uh, you know, I thought it was well worth it but um, yeah, this this series I wanted to mention, so this series and I guess it's really a function of Capcom in general is dominated by female composers which I think is kind of interesting you know when you think back to you know Japan at that time you know kind of coming at the height of the bubble economy and all that so probably not thought of as being like the most sort of forthcoming with opportunities for women but you know like that whole series and Capcom series in general have this sort of a, a, a whole range of different female composers that worked on all of those games. In this case, um, the the songs were composed by Yuki Iwai, who worked on a whole bunch of Mega Man and Capcom uh, fighting games after this. Like this was I, I was going first. to say there are a couple of songs in this game that really sound like Mega Man games, but of course isn't surprising coming no from and there's a hell of a lot of cross-pollination with that you know a lot of people that worked on the various you know sort of makaimura games went on to work on different uh you know mega man games and street fighter and all. actually one of yoko shimamura's first jobs with capcom that i can find was uh, kind of being a co-composer on the first gargoyle's quest for game boy before you know she went on to hmm. sort of uh, be you know one of the most prominent people that kind of came out of that period um but yeah, I mean, the, the, the music here obviously does benefit from being on NES as opposed to Game Boy, even though you know, I'm quite impressed with what they did on Game Boy. But um, yeah, this kind of obviously brings us into that really sort of comfortable period of like late NES Capcom stuff. You know, they did really good work um, in, in in the soundtrack area um, you know, at this sort of time. And this, yeah, this was a super late NES game in 1992 as a sequel to a Game Boy game. It's quite odd, isn't it? Um, you know, to, to go from portable to console at a time when that console has, you know, long since ceased to be, you know, the kind of uh, on the cutting edge, as it were. Um, but it's a, it's a really I'm fun. struggling to think of any other game. Maybe Kirby's Adventure in a similar place. 
Yes, that the and that of course was also well, yeah, very very late. That was actually was that the year after this or something? It was, it was super yeah, I late. think it was '93. <laughs> Amazingly, but yeah, that that is probably the other sort of salient example, which also has very good music. Yeah, <laughs> but yep. uh, no, I mean this series, you know, I, I really like the Gargoyles Quest kind of sub series uh, of Ghosts and Goblins. So this particular game, you know, the NES version managed to break free of some of the limitations you had from the portable sort of uh, format because biggest being with the higher resolution the play area was a lot more visible and so the game just kind of felt the level design felt a bit freed up and just the experience of playing it you don't feel like you're being as painfully sort of conservative um with your movement uh, in that case although of course when i played the game boy version of this you know that was very much there in force because you are working with the layouts for the nes game oh god with the limited view of the team uh. the first game boy game so like i said it is certainly not the optimum way to experience the game in many ways however those two extra levels are pretty cool and as you might expect like they don't have as many problems because they were designed for the game boy And they give you really powerful kind of additional weapons that did not exist uh, in the NES version, which essentially make bits of the game easier to kind of help overcome some of the problems (laughs) that you get because you can't hardly see anything. So, you know, they kind of, I think they did the best they could, you know, trying to uh, accommodate this sort of different, you know, it's a kind of understandable desire to want to put the sequel you know, on the platform that began the series um, but uh, yeah the NES version is still probably the way to go I would say not least for its much greater availability at this point so, so Greg as someone who played the uh, Gargoyles Quest game the first one when it came out on the Game Boy Virtual Console yes um, and then it was okay I mean I, I guess I enjoyed it I don't, I don't really have that many fond memories of it but it was, it was fine um and as someone who, who I, I guess, likes... I mean, I, I played Demon's Crest when it came out. I heard so many things about that game. I had to play that game. And, and at first, I had some issues with it. I think once I got a feeling for how to use the items... For a long time, I didn't know how to use the items, period, because of whatever <laughs> cockamamie interface Capcom had in that era for, for a couple of their games like that. Um, but eventually, I, I really got into it and, and really enjoyed, uh, you know going doing the branching paths and all that stuff is, is this a game i should check out i think it's worth checking out. i mean look it's it's much more in the vein of the first gargoyles quest but you know for for an nes type of you know capcom action game right you know so it, it casts off some of the kind of more rpg sort of uh, trappings of the first one you know like the you know the way the first one okay but you, you've got these like ra- kind of random encounters on the map yes where you just have a little fight against a couple of enemies whatever like they're gone you still have an okay. overworld map you still go to towns and have a little chat about you know the, the with the deep the local demons about what's going on in the demon world or whatever you know so it's still that kind of silliness to it um you know there uh and you know this you know, kind of conceit of you know you be you know i think it's technically a prequel like it's you know a, a sort of generations earlier firebrand saving the demon world um but you know in terms of the gameplay it's just pretty much about you know you, you ultimately you find these levels on the overworld map in a particular order you go in you play them you go from a to b and you get bosses at the end and the bosses definitely benefit from the better uh, field of view 
uh, probably as much as anything in the game, I think. Because, you know, with that kind of thing where you're recognising patterns and all that kind of stuff, it's nice to be able to see them to actually, you know, kind of get them down and obviously they look better and stuff. So, yeah, I think uh, I think it's um, I think it's, it's well worth checking out. Like I said, Demon's Crest is a much more sort of ambitious game, you know, with this sort of, um, you know, much more non-linear, more kind of metroid kind of elements to it. Um, you know, so it's uh, I don't know whether it's as interesting as that game, but in terms of what it does, what it sets out to do, I think it does it rather well. It's uh, it's very good. And it, it has a bit of a different atmosphere. I mean, Deba's Crest is um, you know, actually it's one of the rare examples in the series where the male composer did the soundtrack, but also it's quite, you know, for a game that's sort of intrinsic, you know, still based in that very sort silly world of, of uh, you know ghosts and goblins and all that it's quite me- it's probably melancholy and and, and, and somber and spooky um, Demon's Crest you're very well, yes both, both the composition and some of the interactions with the characters or just people that are saying pretty um dark things no it's a lot like you know it's kind of yeah i guess something maybe reading too much into it but it's just like that whole thing of kind of like the the, with the first two on the eight bit systems it's kind of like well you know the idea of like this whole kind of demon realm where like there's just sort of villages of like just like average working joe demons around you know (laughs) it goes in a very silly place with that because it's kind of a silly concept whereas demon's crest doesn't um it's kind of funny that but uh, i mean there's nothing wrong with that i I really quite like the atmosphere in demon's crest but it's definitely got a different feel and uh, apart from the obvious kind of gameplay differences but i mean i I really like this soundtrack like i said it's weird that there's like no real consistency in the soundtracks for the for this sub-series you know they had different composers every time you have different systems and they they feel quite different but they're all good uh, i would say okay well we're gonna go on to a listener request here oh boy now you threw me a real softball last year so i'm expecting you know maybe something a bit more challenging i'm a bit nervous i don't know we'll see okay
yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not there yet. Let's just say that. <laughs> Two more songs left. Yeah, and a question. I <laughs> might be banking on it. not there gonna need the question okay which returning classic villain is revealed to be the true mastermind behind this game's events hmm definitely don't know this one i mean i've got some guest material that is doesn't quite fit together for something that great but you know the question talking about a returning villain or that kind of the established series uh, just the general sound of it put me a little bit in the direction of sonic 
And then I was thinking about something that's not uh, transparently like Robotnik slash Eggman. So I was thinking about the latest one for Wii U, Lost World. But what I've heard of that soundtrack is more like trying to be like Sonic Colors and kind of Mary Galaxy. So it's not a great guess, but I'm going to go with it. You're very close, and you are on the right track that that, that it's not Sonic Colors like. Um, this is a game I probably swore I would never use on this podcast, but uh, time makes fools of us all. Oh, and this was does. requested. This is Sonic Heroes for the GameCube, which of course also came out on uh, PS2 and, and the original Xbox. It was a little bit in one of those songs that was reminded me of uh, Sonic Rush, but I knew for well it wasn't Sonic Rush because I bloody used that game many years ago. <laughs> but, you know, no, the, the soundtrack is much closer than to Sonic Adventure or Sonic Adventure Two. Yeah, so I've never I've never had the pleasure of playing any of those uh, the games. Uh, whether or not it would be a pleasure, I suppose is uh, up for debate. Uh, well, you know, uh, one reason I chose this is because uh, during the telethon, uh, there was a segment for Sonic Adventure and Sonic Adventure 2 where, uh, of course, yeah. where uh, you know, I played both of those and, uh, you know, they, they held up about as well as I had recalled. Um, I, I did enjoy playing through at least portions of those games. And so I thought, you know, I, I really was hard on Sonic Heroes. Why don't I give it another shot? I, I uh, had about 20 minutes before uh, I started recording. I did some preparation. Um, <laughs> so I dusted off my copy of Sonic Heroes, which I bought retail for review. And uh, I'm not bitter about that at all. No, 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 um, no. I'm surprised you even remember it. And uh, it, it's it's worse than I remembered. Oh, it, is it really? really? And what did you score it? Uh, do we do we have that to have? Oh, golly, I, I, I didn't look that up. My guess would be I scored it as a five or a six, something in that range. Uh, if it's higher than that, then I'd be shocked. Well, that, that, I mean, I probably read that review, but, yeah, I, I, I mean, that's kind of the general kind of ballpark I'm thinking, too. But, yeah, I, I haven't looked it up. Yeah, uh, I mean, Johnny like... reviewed it, too, and I think he was even harder on it than me, and, and perhaps he was correct. Um, <laughs> so the thing about Sonic Heroes... I mean, on the surface, it might look like it's, well, you know, it just looks like Sonic Adventure 2, you know, multi-platform. There are a couple of problems with it. One, um, I think because it was their first real uh, multi-platform endeavor for a 3D Sonic game, um, I think some of the physics are a little off. Um, I think the GameCube version is probably considered the best one. The, the, the frame rate seemed like it held up, and that would make sense. Given, so this was on PS2, GameCube, was it on Xbox as well? I mean, Yes, and I, and I know that the PS2 version was what I played at E3, and it was terrible. At that stage, I mean, those three consoles were quite different, weren't they? For the, you know, yes. I mean, in terms of uh, however kind of pretty the graphics looks in the end, in terms of the sort of architecture of the systems and stuff, they were. Yeah, well, it must have been a more of a chat. Yeah, but you think about how close the two new consoles are. You know, the, the Xbox One, the PS4, it seem pretty similar these days. You know, but uh, back then, very yeah. And the you know the middleware software wasn't as good back then too for, yeah. for kind of bridging uh, so those gaps. So it must have been something for them to get to grips with because of course they were just coming out of their own hardware era you know they mm-hmm. weren't used to doing that yeah so so I, I didn't get too far into the game I, I had to do a fresh save so I, I'm pretty sure the GameCube version is considered the best version from on a technical level um, but even early on there's you know that jankiness of, of physics with you know some of the camera angles and 
if you've never played a 3D Sonic game, it's certainly of that era. You, you may not know what I'm referring to, but there, there are just aspects where you'll, you'll go in a direction you didn't expect because the camera shifted, or you'll get caught on some weird edge. It, and, and, we all remember Sunshine. And it seemed like I'd started up earlier than in, in some of the other Sonic 2, you know, Sonic Adventure and Sonic 2. You, you at least have to get to maybe the fifth stage before you start running into that kind of crap. Okay. And I, I ran into some of that in like the second stage, so I, I, I felt like that might have been a casualty of the multi-platform nature but but that's almost uh, beside the point because the, the real problem with this game is the pacing and, and i remembered that from before but my god it's bad so <laughs> you know in sonic adventure in sonic adventure you chose a character and you played through the story as that character and that you know that point of view and so you played sonic you're playing as sonic the whole time and, and yes the adventure stage thing was terrible and the pacing was bad with that but when you're on an action stage you're playing as a sonic game and and you know, the pacing was pretty much the same, other than, you know, you slow down a little bit for battle, but overall, you know, if you're playing a Sonic, you know what to expect. Um, in, in Sonic Adventure 2, um, they broke it up so that you would kind of alternate among stages, where it would be a Sonic stage, and a, a, a Tails stage, and then a, and a Knuckles stage, but within those stages, again, it was... It was it was that pacing, and, and I guess you could say the badness of the Knuckles stages were were contained within those stages, <laughs> which which was actually quite good that it did that way. <laughs> Quarantined, perhaps. Sonic Heroes is, is a constant mixture. Um, you're playing as all three characters, and you're kind of swapping who's in the lead, and so it's like a you're in different formations. There's a speed formation, a flight formation, and a power formation. And, and so when you're playing in the speed formation, it plays more or less like a Sonic game that, that you would expect. But the way the levels are designed, you have to switch amongst them. In fact, they force you in some cases when you go through gates, they force you to switch. You, you can switch back, but you're supposed to play a certain segment as a certain... So that's their way of telling you yeah, what, to, what to expect, essentially, I guess. Right, and then there are also signs. And so there, there's some branching paths, too, I guess, for, as part of that. But you're not going to get around the need to switch between these things. And when you switch from Sonic to any of the other formations you come to a grinding halt <laughs> and uh, the gameplay just it changes and it just doesn't feel good in the, in the flight formation um, you can fly but not really that high um, or very fast and, and you can kind of lob your cohorts as kind of like um, as ammunition as part of the combat but it, it Again, you stop when you change formations, and then you can kind of go forward. You just don't never feel like you have momentum. Uh, in Sonic Adventure, uh, you know, Tails had this fight mode, but he, he ran almost as fast as Sonic, and it, and it was still fairly similar to a Sonic game. This just feels very different. And then when you get to Knuckles, it's just, oh my god, it's so slow, and you're just, you know, it's a button masher, sort of. It just it doesn't feel good. And the way they mix it up, there's, there's no stage in this game that feels good. Because every stage has to have some gameplay using one of the the, the, the format, every one of yes. the formations, or each one e of them. Exactly, yeah. they're going to be swapping amongst those several times through the course of any given stage. Right. Yes, yeah, um, so it's not compartmentalized, yeah, and then <laughs> yeah, I guess all. it kind of infects everything. There's so Do you think the um, the sort of the fighting formation with the knuckles in the lead was like the the, the, the precursor to, to to stretchy arms werehog? Perhaps. Um, <laughs> I, I never played that game. So no, me neither. I, I, but, uh, yeah, I just think the, the like... mechanics maybe are, are borrowed some from that. I um, I would suspect that it's still better 
game than this, even those segments, because once again... Yeah, that was compartmentalized. Yeah. You can get used to it, and, um, you know, there's probably some merit, because you always know that you're playing as that, you know, yeah. at, that, at that pace. But I guess it was always the, the feeling that they needed to kind of slow... They did need to slow the game down at various points to try and have a longer running time and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, and Sonic Heroes probably chose a very poor way to do that. Yeah, I guess that was the thing. They started experimenting with different ways to do that uh, around this sort of time, didn't they? Um, you know. So, uh, sorry guys, if there's anyone out there who loves Sonic Heroes, I... I have even less love for it now. Um, I, I tried to give it a fresh take. I, I didn't even get to the bosses, and I recall the bosses being terrible in this game. Um, and and there, there, some of them are even just kill rooms. Oh right, that that that, that serves as the boss, the kill room. <laughs> just that go on for too long, if I recall. So yeah, so so there there are four teams you can play as, but from what I can tell, they all play pretty much the same, which is really weird, because you're playing as the Amy Rose team, which I did get a tutorial in there, I tried that. Um, all of a sudden, Amy has like Sonic's moves, and can run like Sonic. So just, <laughs> just, just, just uh, you know, skin changes like that. Yeah, it. yeah. So, I assume there's like team, team badass with Shadow in it, is it? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, uh, not such a hot game, and, and uh, it's I, I guess it's portable um, counterpart. Um, I don't know if they came out exactly the same time or not, but the, the Sonic Adventure Three kind of tried to riff on this as well, where you had uh, two characters that you could mix and match. So this was to be um, for the GBA, right? For the GBA, yeah. yeah. I think that game did a fantastic job of, of kind of a similar concept, and and like I said, I do think they were they were. Um, contemporaries of each other because I, I do recall there's this notion of well you know knuckles is a power character and you know tails and cream are flight characters and, and, and so there, there was a little bit of inspiration but uh the dimps uh sonic team game boy advance game um much better game yeah they're, they're actually I think, quite a good game i think those are actually um or at least some of them are on the uh, japan's wii u virtual console possibly but we uh, we've been lagging a bit you know obviously square enix as we recorded this just finally deigned to put something out on western virtual consoles with final fantasy tactics whereas uh, advanced you know the the the, the, G- the first portable one uh, gba but um you know like they've had stuff going back to pretty early in the wii's we use life over there um, and, and Sega have had stuff and you know there's TG16 games like it, it really is a lot more third party focused in Japan um, um, so I don't know but the fact, the fact that Elite Square are doing stuff that maybe we'll get some of these uh, Sonic GBA games eventually Lindy from RFN always praises Sonic Rush which I, I do agree is a good game but I think the Advanced Series is even better. Yeah, I've, I've heard that. Like, I played Rush, and I hadn't played the GBA games, and then, you know, I'd, I'd heard you, I'd, I'd read other people kind of saying that, and I'd been intrigued to kind of go back. But then, like, there was always kind of the net, well, like, oh, there's going to be another Sonic Rush coming, and then there's going to another thing, yeah. and then, yeah, the, that's yeah. my Sonic cycle. It's just kind of an excuse to, like, not buy Sonic. <laughs> it's just like, oh, well, there's a new one coming, maybe that'll be good, so I won't buy the old one, and then I don't end up buying anything. <laughs> Right. <laughs> but, so, uh, so Sonic Two and Sonic Adventure Two. Uh, sorry, Sonic Advance Two. These names are yeah. Uh, yes. Sonic Advance Two and Sonic Advance Three. I think are are quite good games. They're not perfect. They have some flaws. Uh, Sonic Two's big flaws. It's very, very, very difficult to access the special stage. You have to collect seven 
doodads in a level, which, you know, they're branching paths, so it's a poor fit. Right. Um, Sonic 3, I, I think, avoids some of that. Uh, Sonic Advance 3, uh, I can't. Yeah. This was that time that we've already touched upon the Super Mario Advance naming, you know, yes. kerfuffle, so yeah, I guess that was just the... Uh, <laughs> so, because I was thinking, I mean, it's a kind of, it was kind of bad for Sega because, you know, you had the Super Mario Advance games that all weren't original, but the Sonic Advance games were. And yeah. yeah, obviously, like, people could be misled by that. I mean, I know, mm-hmm. like, it's, they're completely separate publishers, you know, they only just stop being, like, mortal enemies or whatever, but, you know, people don't necessarily think about that and they just right. see a box on the shelf or something. If you played Heroes and, you know, you were put off by Sonic Advance 3 because some similar-sounding mechanics of the formation-type stuff... Um, in Sonic Advance, some of the formations feel very different. Others, that's kind of a modifier. So, um, it, you know, it changes the mechanics, the physics, but that, that's kind of fun to play around with. And, and, and you're put, it's pretty flexible, so you can, you know, you can change your team whenever you want. It's not, you know, after a stage, I should say, not in the middle of a stage. But it's it's a very different dynamic from my complaints with Sonic Heroes, where you're, you're just. No, and I mean, you really, like I said. You- Really, you'd expect so because a lot of those problems with those Sonic games were kind of you know trying to sort of grapple with how to do it in 3D and have yeah. it be kind of a big experience. Whereas you know the template for a side-scrolling Sonic game had been set you know by the old yep. games and then by the previous Sonic Advance games. So I'm sure the mm-hmm. and then Dimps yeah they kept doing that for a good while after you Rush. Uh, the Rush Adventure and Sonic Colors for DS was like that as well. You know, wasn't it? That was like a companion game to the Wii game, but it was quite different. You know, it was a side scroller. Right. It was a, a kind of like yeah, Rush Three or something. If the NX really is sort of this portable, or at least a part of it's portable, I, I wouldn't be surprised if in North America they're holding back on some of these GBA releases if they're thinking they'll sell better um, if they're on a portable. Yeah, Which, I, I, I could see conceivable. Yeah, certainly. So it's, you know, they, they, I'm they, giving them too much credit there, and then they're just really just well. The, the age-old, you know, uh, debate or whatever you want to call it, discussion of, of you know how these decisions get made it doesn't seem like it's ever going to go away. <laughs> it's uh, just certainly not getting more transparent. That's for sure. Yep. Okay. Uh, enough Sonic talk. We're going to go on to Greg's next request. But uh, oh, I, I should say that uh, that request was from Combo from I don't know several years ago, probably. Uh, so thank you, Combo, uh, if you're still around and listening to this podcast for your request. Oh, did we? Uh, so forgive me. You could cut this out, Roger. But uh, did we address the hint question in the? I know I referenced it. Oh no, I've no, we didn't. Forgotten. I'm bad at that. Thank you for I've reminding me. So, no, no, no. I'm, I'm bad. I even have it highlighted to remind me. I know it had something to do with Robotnik, but uh, was that just the... It did not. It, it, the question was, oh, right. um, and, and it was about uh, who's the master behind, behind the game's events. And uh, you, you may think that it's Robotnik, but it's not. It's apparently Metal Sonic, which uh, oh. I had no idea because I never beat this game. <laughs> oh, dear, mate. <laughs> Certainly yeah, not. I, just, uh, I, I don't think I beat any aspect of this game, let alone like the final... I just got familiar with Metal Sonic through uh, Sonic 2 3D, you know, the, the, the mm-hmm. fight on the Death Egg or whatever, you know, there's him and then there's uh, right, the giant right. Robotnik machine after that, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he, he's like, he's not just a robot, he's like an autonomous villain. I, I guess he becomes that. In Sonic 2, he, I'm not even sure that's considered Metal Sonic or not, because he looks pretty oh, different. A, is that just it, Robo Sonic? <laughs> may, maybe it's Robo Sonic. In mean, Sonic 3 and Knuckles, he, he shows up looking more like his... 
um, current counterpart. And I, I think he showed up like that, more or less like that in Sonic CD as well. So that, that oh, might have right. been his first uh, appearance in, in, in modern design. So yes, uh, Sonic fans, uh, you, you can clarify in the talkback thread whether in Sonic 2 that really is Metal Sonic or whether that's robot Robosonic, some not not to be confused with Metal Sonic. <laughs> Metal Sonic's uh, robotic doppelganger. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that idea. <laughs> oh my, yes. So uh, thank you again, Combo, for that request. Um, and I'm sorry if uh, I don't like the game as much as you. Just the way things go. All right, game four, Greg. Game four. Here we go. Moving, I think. I get choked up. It's just just thinking about it. Yeah, that sounds almost like a, a cheesy karaoke song or something. <laughs>
is the complete emotional 180 to just super happy. Uh, so I do, you don't know where you are now, do you? I, mean, I can only imagine everyone's just baffled as to what the game is. But uh, I do have a bonus slash hint question for everyone, which is, what contribution was made to this game by the daughter of its composer? I would hope uh, that anybody who's played games from this series would be able to kind of intuit what game it is based on the sound of those songs. Uh, but uh, I can reveal. You're so predictable, Greg. Yeah, well, you know, it's the first time I've done one of these. Really? So, yeah. I don't believe you. I that don't is, believe that you. is Stone Cold Tribe. They've been on radio. They've been one of these on Radio True before. I've never done this series yeah. before, so it's kind of why I went with it. Um, yeah, this is Rhythm Ten Goku, the best plus. Uh, so it is therefore an import game uh, for this uh, year's episode of mine. Uh, yeah, it obviously came out in Japan on 3DS last year. And um, it kind of actually compiles a lot of uh, songs and mini, you know, the accompanying mini-games from previous Rhythm Ten Goku games. But all of the songs I just used were some of the new ones that go along with it. You know, so it would only be too easy. But there's still, you know, like for instance, the middle song there kind of calls back to the Love Lab game from the DS one, for instance. You know, and, 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 and uh, the last one was uh, like the latest kind of strain in the samurai slicing thing in half uh, game that there's always got to be one up in a Rhythm Tengoku game so yeah you know um, I, I think if you um, had played any of the, uh, the previous ones um, you would have had a decent shot of guessing this so this game still hasn't made its way outside of Japan has well, it has not been announced even you know at this juncture um, which um, you know it's difficult to know what to make of it all I suppose um in terms of the likelihood of it. I mean, because the previous two games that were localised, you know, the DS game and Wii game, were, they were handled very differently, weren't they? You know, if you recall uh, Rhythm Heaven for DS, you know, that, that in, the, you know in the States, you, know, you had the big marketing push with Beyonce behind it, you know, they kind of probably position it 
as part of their big kind of um, you know kind of casual friendly mainstream kind of uh, tentpole titles you know like uh, some of the brain training stuff or whatever and right. it, it didn't really fit in that you know it's such a video game like it, <laughs> because it's um, you know about precise timing that's the whole thing of right. it you know and uh, it's not even really like a kind of orthodox rhythm game you know where you're kind of playing along with a song you're kind of filling in the song with with your actions in, well you're always in filling in the song in, in traditional no, music but you know, games I, I was thinking more like EBA you know where you're kind of tapping along and stuff you know what I mean the song is complete without you tapping you know whereas, right you're, you're, you're adding more instrumentation on top of it basically yeah whereas like with with these you know they, they've kind of dis- what you he- heard here is um, you know very much kind of like it's not quite all of the song in a way you know because it lacks the actual bits that are created by you know your inputs and you know that depends on whether you're inputting it at the correct times of course but you know that's the way that the, the music is generally composed is to have those in it so it's always a little weird for me hearing these songs outside of uh, you know their original context because it, it, it you know something very much something is literally missing and I kind of just like I get so kind of locked into these games when I play them I'm just kind of filling it in in my head just as a matter of habit um, you know so it's kind of it is a little different from from some but like I said it's it's about timing it's about exacting rhythm and stuff so I just don't think that kind of marketing was you know necessarily that appropriate and you know i don't know whether it was necessarily apt to be a huge hit under any circumstances in western markets even though you know it had done well in japan and then with the wii game they scale things back a bit you know they made it a budget title and all that kind of stuff you know so um what i don't i, I don't think it blew the doors off or anything in terms of uh, sales but i don't know whether that approach ultimately you know worked well enough for them to consider localizing this one um, you know, uh, for 3DS sometime, you know, it, perhaps it'll be, it, uh, it, yeah, I think it'd probably have to come out this year if it was going to be worth bringing out at all. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I, the problem with this game is that, like the Wii game, it, it's pretty late in 3DS's life. Yeah. Um, and even worse, so to speak, it, it it's kind of going to appeal to kind of a subset of the people that would be interested in a rhythm Nintendo Goku game anyway, because it, it it is largely a remix of existing. It is, yeah. I concepts mean, and granted, it's always kind of a remix of what it, you know the previous one was, but this one more so. So I could see a lot of people who enjoyed Rhythm Tenkoku before passing on this one. Still might not feel like it's essential or anything, but right. I mean, the one thing I would say is, I mean, for people who did, I've imported uh, you know, Rhythm Tenkoku games before. So I was familiar with with all this stuff, but you know, for a lot of people, if they just played either the DS or even both the DS and Wii um, games, you know, they wouldn't have seen the GBA games that are in this. So there's that, and then you've got the new game. So that's about half the game's sort of constituent mini games would be completely fresh. And then you've got the new remixes that kind of takes everything together and blends it and does new stuff with it. So you know, I think there's there's a really nice amount of content in this game. But I mean, you know, I think if you're looking at it as a commercial proposition from Nintendo's point of view and thinking about whether it's worth localizing, I could see that kind of logic maybe coming into it. So I'm, 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 I'm a little concerned about whether this is going to make its way over 
um, eventually. But uh, to answer before we get ahead of ourselves, the, the, the hint question here. So the contribution made to the game, the daughter of its composer, is that, that she provides the vocals for one of the songs that's used in a remix stage called I'm a Lady Now. Uh, so if you can imagine this very small Japanese girl singing in English about how she's all grown up while a karate man wearing a bee suit is kicking stuff. That's 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 that's, <laughs> that's generally what's going on in that remix. I mean, this thing about Rhythm Heaven, it's just so irrepressibly mad. Uh, I, 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 I always love them. I, I've, I've played all of them. I've played all the games in all of them. I've got perfects on all the ones that just use buttons. I never could quite get to grips with the touch controls in DS well enough to get perfects on all of those. But I'm just, you know, I'm a super fan. I love this stuff. I eat it up. I devour it every time I get one. Um, you know, so uh, I kind of, uh, yeah, sort of evangelize a little bit for it here by putting it in there. And uh, it's a good candidate for an import game. And may never be anything other than an import game at this day. It's a very sad thing to think about, but uh, I thought it was sort of worthy of inclusion. And it's worth mentioning as well that on 3DS now, you know, you've got to a point with the instrument quality where, like, when they go back to the old songs, they sound a lot better, especially the GBA ones, you know, because obviously that um, didn't have the highest quality. Um, you know, the sound on it compared to what we have on portables today. Um, so you get that uh, kind of element too. Um, but it's kind of unclear what's going to happen to this series in the future because the guy, you know, the the, this, uh, the songsmith of the series, Sunku, um, also that's kind of his, you know, artist name. Uh, actual name's Mitsuo Tarada. Um, he's had really significant health problems in recent years. So like, I think a couple of years ago now he was diagnosed with laryngeal cancer and then last year he had to have his vocal cords removed um, and you know that was a big deal because in addition to writing so and producing stuff you know he's been a singer and been in bands and all you know he's quite big in the Japanese music industry in general so yeah I, I don't and he's had to step back from a number of his ventures and stuff so I don't know if that had anything to do with you know kind of putting this together with only a certain amount of new content and you know uh, sprucing up some of the old mini games um, you know and what's going to happen from here you know I, I don't know because it's, it's the kind of thing I can't really imagine them doing it without him you know it's got to be like doing Earthbound without Itoi you know I just right. it's that personality that's so, so I mean there's a lot of aspects that go into creating the person personality of Rhythm Heaven it's not just the songs uh, yeah, it's the aesthetic it's the kind of sensibilities of it all that coming together the synthesis of it but um, you know I just I don't, I don't think without that as the foundation I just don't think it would work so um, not that it necessarily isn't going to be doing another one in the future and certainly in Japan this has sold rather well I mean not extraordinary numbers but the biggest sellers on 3DS you know, like Monsanto Cross or something's going to do like 2 million straight off the bat but it, it sold over I think it's getting on for 700,000 copies so yeah that, that's pretty good in the current uh, you know package software market in Japan I wouldn't count this game out, at least coming out in Japan, a sequel. Um, no, I certainly hope not. If, 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 it, if it self-improves, even you know, if you can't do vocals, you can certainly still compose. And uh, so a yeah. project like this would, would be something that, uh, if he's able to recover mostly from his illness, uh, it may be the sort of thing he'd, he'd really want to go back to. 
No, I hope so. But the, the way this kind of is a fitting send off for the series, if it were that, because it does kind of collect everything up, put some real. I mean, there's not that many new uh, new mini games, but the ones that are there are really good. I think probably because they're not weren't like trying to fill it out with new ones. They could just go back to the old ones to fill it out. So it's just the ones they've got are, are, are really fun. Yeah, the music works really well in tandem with them. I mean, it's a funny thing, like with the first song, you know, you, you kind of talked about the way that sounds. And of course, like, you know, it's got this kind of sort of sad, you know, tone to it. But the actual mini game involves a bear squeezing bags of desserts so that he can eat them out of the air. So it kind of, you know, it, it seems sort of very much at odds. Like, you know, you have the kind of long, sort of held sad notes, and then you get. Yeah, you know, so it's just that's the thing, it just gives it this completely different quality when you actually get the interactive bits coming together, and they always just work great. Uh, The the sort of synergy of them is is brilliant, and just it's so silly sometimes. Like, that's like its sort of secret weapon is that it's so silly, it actually distracts you and makes it harder to get the game right. Um, You know, but I, I kind of veered away from using the absolutely most Japanese stuff in this because that would have kind of given it away as the import goes straight away even though it's pretty Japanese and certainly the last song which was meant to be the most revealing obviously has that kind of built into it but the sumo game is astonishing in this one it really is I mean it would be a terrible shame for for the world to be deprived of the sumo game in this because it's, it's up there in the pantheon of, of Rhythm Tengoku mini games yeah, so one last game here, straight from the brain of Greg. And then it's on the 2017 after that. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> We're getting old. Oh, 2017 sounding pretty bleak. <laughs> I, do, I like this it's a nice little song. It's full, I think it's full of anticipation. It's not just sort of ominous. It's, there's, there's hope in there. Yeah, there's some hope, maybe. But we'll see what happens. <laughs> More hope than there is in fucking 2017. Thank you. 
and that's bleak. Uh, it, it is. Now yeah. we got to the bleak. That, that mournful. That one. I mean, just just devastated. What what's going on there? I don't know whether that's you really going to gonna... tell me after you reveal the game. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty bleak. yeah, I don't know what anybody's going to, you know, what kind of frame of mind that's going to put me in for what this game is. Um, <laughs> this hit question may or may not help. It's more the about. Bubonic plague. It's, it's more about <laughs> a music trivia point that we'll get to once we reveal what it is. But um, what promise does the US box art for this game make about its contents? more rousing but it's still kind of you know ominous and yeah it's it's a general mood about this game soundtrack that uh i wanted to kind of because it goes beyond the songs i've used here that i kind of wanted to get into that might i don't know might throw people off as to what it is um i'm not sure uh but there was a clue in the first song a vi- uh, an audio sort of uh, clue there as to what the identity of this game is you may have picked up on because this is Act Razor 2 for the Super Nintendo uh, going back to 1993 um, which is most famous I suppose for just cutting out the whole sort of uh, god section of uh, the, the previous game um, where you, you know, sort of uh, help rebuild the towns and all that kind of stuff from the devastation of whatever Satan had been up to. It's basically Satan, the villain in that game. I think they just renamed it something in Tanzara or whatever for the rest of the world, but it, it's, it's Satan. Uh, and um, that's the thing, the hint question, uh, it goes to that point. Um, the box for the US version promised... 100% pure action and excitement, which presumably was meant to convey none of that top-down shit 
Uh, you know, <laughs> I am assuming they're highly sophisticated market research operations in those days. Uh, told them that it would sell better, uh, you know, if it didn't have that in it. Um, and uh, I don't know how well founded this is, but there are sort of claims out there when you read about this game that you know it was the American side, you know, with with Enix that that, that kind of prompted that decision to make it a strictly an action game uh, for the sequel. Like I said, I don't know if that charge is true or whatever how well founded that is but um, seems believable on the basis sure. of that you know you can look that box up it exists and it looks every bit as silly as you would imagine <laughs> so that was obviously a controversial um, change to the sequel but was was the action gameplay um, improved upon for the well sequel? this is it I have yet to have the pleasure of playing this game because it's not been on virtual console and it is pretty damn hard to get hold of legitimately you know as a cartridge in good condition and especially given its reputation that it is not meant to be a particularly masterful side-scrolling action game of which you know there were quite a number uh, on the Super Nintendo. Well, I'm sure it was meant to be a masterful game, but, but oh, it, uh, you're quite, saying maybe it isn't? Apparently not. Like I said, that is the you know that is the book on it. For everything I've read quite extensively on it, I've looked into getting it over the years. I've always been intrigued by it, even though you know it's certainly at the time you know its reputation wasn't worthy of, of pushing the boat out to pay the big import premium for. Um, but yeah, it just. Uh, it's, you, know, you know, these days, of course, you know, watch stuff on YouTube and all that kind of stuff, you know, to get a sense of the game and all that. It just, you know, doesn't really seem to be... Um, and not, not that Act Racer's action parts were that great. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I think they were good, but they, you know, it was an early Super Nintendo game, sure. so the bar hadn't been set as high yet. Um, and, you know, it was more than that. Then you get to this game, and, I mean, it looks pretty good. I mean, you know, it was quite a number of years later, and, and, and it sort of commensurately... It looks prettier and more detailed and kind of more fancy. Um, but, uh, you know, gameplay-wise, you know, the, the, the sort of verdict from most people is that it's it's not outstanding. Um, you know, and I suppose you might expect that, considering that, that that was the sole focus of the game design. Um, so, well, you know, Enix wasn't exactly that well-known for their platformers or action games they were not capcom or konami were they at this stage i suppose that's it's worth mentioning but um you know i think uh, musically it's interesting because you know, this like the first one was composed by yuza kashira and of course first act race is kind of famous for its very kind of symphonic uh, you know to nature you know that this was one of the first games on super nintendo to really kind of push that you know that you could kind of emulate a movie score uh, mm-hmm. with with this uh, sony sound chip that was inside the hardware now and i mean parts of ActRaiser make some very direct references to bits that are literally in movie scores uh, you know like uh, I'm sure there's a bit that's a very close to the, um, the the sort of battle music uh, from the original Star Wars where they're you know the, the space battle around the Death Star like it's, it's, it's really really close to that and I think also the 20th Century Fox fanfare is almost ripped off at one point <laughs> which I guess is kind of a part of the original Star Wars too you know because it opens to the film um yeah but um, well this game know. i mean sounds like it could be performed in you know 
in a symphonic stage just yeah, well, that's the you thing. just go I, there to, to sit down and listen to you know 60 minutes of music or whatever no that's the thing I mean this is more so though that's the thing I mean this is of, I mean the loops are quite short so there's that it doesn't really look like I guess you know, to some extent that fits probably the levels you know because I don't think they're terribly long but the actual just the style is even more in that direction and you know kind of like as we say very moody very downbeat very you know very sort of tragic kind of feel to it you know yeah. whereas there was some of that in the original act racer but there was a lot more up-tempo kind of what you think of when you think of yuzo kashiro stuff you know like a more you know i hate to say there's a lazy kind of but more video gamey you know like probably the the tube that most people think of when they think of the original act racer is for that first stage in the sort of green Woodland, I think Fillmore, I think it's called something like that, where, yeah, you've got the strings coming in, you've got the organ, but you've got that driving bass that's just totally video game, you know, that's not going to be in a symphony orchestra, um, you know, and that is gone in Act Razor 2, from what I've heard the whole soundtrack, you know, like, and it's just, you know, it doesn't sort of venture out into that kind of it's it's more consistent you know like in this um and what it is consistently is this kind of melancholy kind of sometimes a bit operatic kind of style um you know and i think it's really good like it's probably the closest the super nintendo ever got to emulating that um symphonic sound accurately i mean stuff like the super star wars games which you know i was impressed with at the time for how well they kind of channeled the mm-hmm. like music sure. of Star Wars but they haven't aged as well as this you know you, no you, I mean, this is its own thing and that's part of why it probably ages better yeah because of course the thing with me I suppose I own like all the Star Wars soundtracks I know that music extraordinary, right. extremely well so it always just sounds a bit wrong on that basis when I hear the uh, the Super Nintendo renditions but the thing is it was it just even just you know more just objectively comparing the instrument quality it's, a, it's a got a much more of a sort of tinny less powerful less elegant sound to it you know whereas this this has, in terms of fidelity it sounds really great it's just it's just if you're looking for the kind of more kind of catchy punchy like powerful stuff that like, Aptraiser had like driving kind of sounds like, like yeah you know that's the thing it's almost less befitting of an action game which is right. weird considering this is 100% action fuckwits you know like I just uh, <laughs> I don't it is a it's, it's well a really, maybe it's mourning the fact that they don't have the god sections yeah anymore. maybe Yuza Kashira took it really badly and then just this was his sort of musical repost to the whole thing <laughs> um, so you know it's a weird thing where it's kind of like you know it is a good soundtrack and I quite like it but it's certainly um very different um, you know and it just has the odd little reference to Actraiser I mean first of all the title screen has the same theme as the original Actraiser you get things like the fanfares like when you complete a level you get the same fanfare as you did in the original and then in that first song uh, that we played you might have picked it up it has got a little bit of that trace of that Actraiser theme from the title screen in it just just a little hint like again like it's kind of waiting to come out um, and uh, you know so it, it, there was a clue there if you're familiar with Actraiser so that, that this was a, an Actraiser game of course you used the original long ago long long ago I believe um, you know which is you know, a great soundtrack in its own right but um no, I mean, uh, it's it, it, this game is just largely forgotten, it seems to me. 
Um, you know, like I said, it is difficult to get hold of. And I think the other thing about it is that it is quite infamously hard. So you know, a lot of people who might have tried it, you know, didn't end up having that much to say about it because they probably didn't get that far. You know, like that, that that's always a bit of a killer. That hasn't stopped other very difficult games from coming out, like Bayou Billy. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, and, and it's... I mean, Square Enix have a whole bunch of other games that probably are higher on their list. Than, yeah, than I mean, game. we haven't seen... Obviously, the original Razor came out on Virtual Console, um, you know, uh, and we got that, but uh, we haven't had that on Wii U Virtual Console yet, even the original. Mm-hmm. So it feels like, and, you know, as we mentioned before, they only just got, like, their first Western release on Wii U out there with Final Fantasy Tactics Advance. So I think it's pretty... I mean... You know, we've, if they've been turn up for the books on Wii U Virtual Console, you think of Demon's Crest, you think of Earthbound and all that, but this is probably a step too far. Uh, for, for, I would like to, I, you know, I'm not expecting to love it or anything, but, you know, if it was eight bucks, you know, the equivalent thereof on the, uh, the European store, um, you know, and I could give it a go, I, I'd try. You know, I mean, uh, I'm not overly put off by the, the difficulty stuff. It's just more the fact that, kind of as you alluded to, you know, it's not exactly their pedigree. A really great action video game's got to compete with the best on the system. And, uh, you know, um, certainly you know, from what I've read design-wise, it's nothing to shout, uh, you know, shout about in particular either. But I'd still like to try it. I really would. All right, with that, we're going to close out this show. If you want to send in your requests, you can send an email to typ at nintendoworldreport.com or you can uh, follow the link that's on uh, the episode page for for every episode. There's a form you can fill out. And uh, you can even send in your own uh, song selections or hint questions, and I will consider them. I I use most of... uh, Combo's request for the, the bonus question and two or three songs you requested for this episode. So, uh, you know, the, the more work you do for me, the more likely I am to, <laughs> to, to use it. I certainly didn't have to do a lot of work this episode because uh, Greg really did uh, all the selection. There was a me, me, me and Combo tactic. There you go. There you go. All I had to do was revisit two levels of Sonic Heroes and Disgust. Uh, uh, I, that, that, I did more than enough prep for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear of course you can hear Greg Leahy on Radio Free Nintendo pretty much every week I'm not sure you've missed one I missed a lot not since opening day of the NFL season yeah and I'll probably yeah. miss one for the for draft day in a few months but yeah generally if the NFL isn't buggering stuff up I'm there there you go. So you can watch the Super Bowl along with Greg Leahy, hopefully before uh, before this episode gets out. Oh, I'll have my feet up enjoying it this year. It'll be a lot different than last year. But, uh, there's been some drama. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I haven't but, been following it closely. There's, there's been some drama. But uh, no, pleasure. Uh, for having me on again, it's been a great pleasure. And thanks very much. Um, uh, for indulging me this once a year and no- normally at this point I guess I'd say see you next year uh, <laughs> the, 20s, the March the 2017 starts here but you know you're probably going to guest on uh, on RFM for it like as I said you know, he was on a couple of weeks ago I don't I don't doubt we'll get to converse uh, about games uh, you know, between the, before the calendar year is out on RFL. I certainly hope so. Unless you guess for me on draft day. That's the only problem. <laughs> <laughs> this is possible. Oh, dear. With that, let's, uh, let's wrap this up. Uh, 
thank you everyone for listening and thank you for your patience uh, as I release these uh, at, at, a, at a slower pace than uh, perhaps in the past. But, we're getting uh, old. We're getting old. What is this? Yeah, we're getting old, getting busy. Uh, and I, I do not want to cancel this uh, podcast. It may change over time, but uh, I, uh, I love doing this thing. So it, it will not disappear. It'll, it'll stay around one form or another. So I think this is the eighth consecutive year that I've been on it, and then it was been going before that, and then there was the like the live era as well. Mm-hmm. So there's pretty pretty uh, long history at this point. Yes, sir. Um, at least twenty six to uh, at least not twenty six years, dear lord. Uh, <laughs> at least sixteen years. <laughs> Probably longer than that. Back in nineteen eighty nine. I'm tired. Goodbye, everyone. Bye bye. Zelda Triforce Heroes is copyright 2015 Nintendo. Gargoyles Quest 2 is copyright 1992 Capcom. Sonic Heroes is copyright 2003 Sega. Rhythm Goku The Best Plus is copyright 2015 Nintendo Tsunku. Act Razor 2 is copyright 1994 Annex Quintet.